Take it away. Hi, and welcome to Cadence Podcast. I'm Katerina. And I'm Michael. And welcome to episode... Number 10. 10. How's it feel to have 10 episodes down? Well, it feels like like we've been doing this forever. Like, But we have not at all. Yes, I know. But it's sort of, it's like, it's when you say like, Oh, that and that was three months ago. That feels like so long ago, but mm-hmm. also flew by. And this is sort of what this feels like to me. Yeah. I mean, it did fly by. Yeah. It's a lot of work, especially because we both have other full-time jobs, other side hustles that we do. And then this is another thing that we wanted to add because in the end, it's a good outlet for us. It's really enjoyable. And we hope to build on it, build a, a wonderful community. And it's been, it has been a lot of fun. Stressful a little bit, but fun. Yeah, lots of fun. Yeah, just purely because we're producing everything ourselves. But in today's episode, as the title says, we're going to be really going over food. So quickly, let's start off the podcast by cheersing. Cheersing, yes. Today we are having some Americanos. No, not the coffee. No. The the cocktail. And we'll talk about that after. We'll talk about that after. Yeah. Okay. So before we dive into anything food. Yep. We have to go into our weekly segment. The new cadence. And today is Michael's turn. Yep. So I have a really, I think, a fun one that I think a lot of people would really enjoy. And right now or soon, you can stay at Mariah Carey's Beverly Hills Vacation Home for six U.S. dollars. Per night? No, the whole time. So, however long you want to stay, and it's six dollars. Yeah, sit. You want to hear more about it? Okay. So Mariah Carey is helping one lucky person vacation exactly like she did in partnership with Booking.com. If you're reading this, you have a chance to win a two-night stay. Sorry, it's two nights. In a Los Angeles trip curated entirely by Mariah Carey for $6.21. So you win it. You have to pay it. Yeah, yeah. But it's fully curated. So it's a Beverly Hills house that was rented by Mariah Carey herself on her own getaway in the spring of last year. The price is honorary because the property will be live for booking starting June 21st. At 12 p.m. Eastern Time. And the stay will be for June 24th to 26th. So there's stipulations. So essentially, whoever gets to the booking first or people bid for it on that day at 12 p.m. Or maybe the first person to get there um, will win the trip for $6.21 for two days. But for that $6.21, you get a dinner at the Terrace, Cara, Dantana's, and Craig's. You also get a private consultation with Mariah Carey's fashion stylist and a guide to all of her favorite spots. Yep. So you know what I first, the first thought that came into my head is... Oh, just quickly before you say that. So set your alarm for this time and the first person to land to hit the booking thing gets it. Wow. I wonder what the interior is like because she is like... I have a picture of the home. Oh, because she has sort of an extravagant... I imagine her to have an ex- 
Um, yeah, it's like, a, you can't see this, but it's a massive villa. Yeah. It looks like... It's a mansion. It's not even a villa. I'll, I'll throw a picture up for the people who are watching on YouTube. And, uh, and that's actually a good excuse. You should head over to our YouTube and watch this episode because then you can see uh, this house. Yeah. It's, it's stunning, hey? And what do you think the inside looks like? I bet you it's all marble and... That's what I think. It, it, it looks like a house out of like... Um, oh, man. I am... I should know my movies more. With um, the the Beverly Hills movie in the 90s. With the... Ding, 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 ding. No, with Alicia. Silverstone. Uh, oh, Clueless. Clueless, yeah. yes. Sorry. I should have known that. It wasn't... Like, I wasn't a diehard Alicia Silverstone fan, and that was a great movie, but wasn't my favorite. I also love that Paul Rudd was in it and everything. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. But anyways, it looks like a house from, from, that, from that movie with all yeah. the marble and white. Yeah, it's beautiful. It yeah. So June 21st, 12 p.m. Eastern Time. If you get to Booking.com first, you can try to win it for $6.21. If that's been your dream. And you get a curated two-day stay, two-night stay there. Could be cool. And 24th, I, 26th. I wonder what her, uh, because also her wardrobe is a little extravagant. So I wonder what that fashion Stylist, yeah. It's really cool. And you get dinner re reservations at some amazing restaurants there. Huh. But yeah, I don't think the whole, uh, the rest of the trip is paid for. I don't, I don't know. But anyways, that's the new cadence. Just a piece of fun news. Hopefully, if you're in LA or the surrounding areas, it would be super worth it for us. It wouldn't be since we would have to fly there too. And it would be... Super annoying. Or maybe booking.com. Hey, if you see this podcast episode and we happen to book that, maybe you can fly out there. We'll make you some good content. So to today's episode. Today's episode, I think the topic of food, we've sort of touched on it in our travel episode a little bit. Yeah, we just basically talked about how we travel through, we eat our way through vacations. Yeah, and we said that food has a big is a big element of experiencing traveling for us like it makes it i think this part it's is that not exactly the same thing i just said we travel through food and we travel food food experience is what makes yeah, our travel so. yeah yeah uh yeah and i think what you're trying to say is that um food is a component of travel that really reveals the culture yeah. to you yeah I, I think you were trying to say that, but but then you ended up saying the same thing I said, which is cute. <laughs> but um, but yeah, I think I think what I'm also going to say is that I think a lot of people um travel through their food experiences. Yeah, no, right. That's very true. Yeah, and and there are a lot of people who don't. They just they they travel, but they don't like to eat out of their comfort zone. We've talked about that. We've talked about that too. And they just travel because they want to experience museums and events and stuff. But when it comes to the food side, they'll just eat whatever. They don't really care. Yeah. Whereas you and I and a lot of people like to seek out those super authentic restaurants, those mom and pop shops. We talked about our Portugal experience. But we wanted to dive in deeper because we saw a show recently. Mm -hmm. And it starts off with um, uh, a girl that goes to Florence and she meets a chef and she experiences something so life-changing because of him and the food and he was a chef and uh yeah, if, and it sort of sort of also makes her fall in love with him to a degree i yeah. think his cooking because it's his skill and his passion so i think that's because she's an artist so she can appreciate 
that he's an artist. artist. Yeah, yeah, he's an artist in, in, in cooking. Yeah, she calls him an artist many, yeah. many times. Yeah. And he, she always says, your art is so beautiful. And if you haven't seen the show, it's called From Scratch. Mm -hmm. It started out as a memoir. Mm -hmm. And it was picked up by Hello Sunshine, which is Reese Witherspoon's book club. And production company? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And got turned into an, an epic show. It, it's, it's a wonderful limited series. You should definitely watch it. There's some twists and turns that are very unexpected. Very unexpected. If, you, if you've read the memoir, then you already know. But yeah, it's, it's a good watch. But why don't we talk about um, sort of your food experiences and, and what it was like growing up in Germany and those food experiences and then, and then how that changed mm -hmm. or didn't change? Mm-hmm. I think I grew up in a smaller city. So from in my teenage years or, or as a child or in my teenage years, I think I wasn't exposed to as many sort of cuisines. Yeah, was it mainly German and Italian because Germany is so heavy, heavily influenced by just yeah. Italian food and German? Exactly, obviously. because the town that I'm from is also has a very high Italian population mm -hmm. so it's very German and Italian food and if you're wondering what town it is it is called Una, Una yeah. uh, in um, Anave and fun fact it holds the twice no every other year it holds the biggest That's Italian right. festival That's north right. of the Alps yeah so Italian influence very big so that huge that's sort of what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And then even as a teenager, I think the neighboring cities aren't as diverse in terms of food. So yeah. I, I pretty much stayed within my comfort zone or, or or what I knew in terms of food. Yeah. So what was your, so what are like the, the, a few of the things that you just distinctly remember eating as a child that was so common to you? I think my favorite dish as a child was mashed potatoes. Uh, sausage and peas and carrots yeah not even that german but sort of like home like a home cooked yeah, western I think, I th meal i think really the only german component in that dish is maybe the the Sausage. sausages yeah because yeah. yeah. mashed potatoes every kid loves that i think yeah yeah and then i think we grew up not with as much pizza but a lot of pasta yeah what, what kind of pasta with. mainly um there's a there's a uh, a lot of the German listeners probably know this from back in the day. There was something called Miracoli. Okay. And it's a... Miracoli. 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 No, it's an R. Miracoli. Mi? Miracoli. Mm -hmm. Miracoli. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like macaroni. <laughs> and it's basically a pre-made... Not a pre-made, but it's like a package that gives you spaghetti. Miracoli. A tomato sauce in a in a bag, and the spices to put in the into the tomato sauce. Okay. And and how was the pasta? Spaghetti. In, oh. Yeah, just in a box. It came in a in a long box. Yeah, it was spaghetti noodles. Yeah. And so pre-made spaghetti, basically. Well, the 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 pasta wasn't cooked. It was uncooked pasta. It was just a little like package of all the things you yeah. needed to make yourself okay. a spaghetti with tomato sauce. Okay. So that's what I remember the most. But about. why wasn't it just called spaghetti? The brand is Miracoli. Okay. Yeah. Okay, you kind of like left but, that but part people, out. But people here talk about it as, as if, if it's it is a dish. dish. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, and my Got mom it. was a um, for most for my teenage years, my mom was a um, a working mom, 
uh, who races by herself. Yeah. So a lot of it's those quick. meals, like my, my that that was what we it, had lunch. It, you know what's funny about that and saying and it sounds like uh, macaroni is like uh, that the way you describe that just made me think of like that is the German version of mac and cheese. Yeah. Katie. It's like Katie in a box. It's like yeah. powdered cheese in yeah. a bag, macaroni. You put a bit of milk in it. Boom. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. And it's so funny that you're, that you're describing this thing. I'm like, isn't it just spaghetti? You're like, yeah, it's just spaghetti in a box. Yeah. Which every kid loves as a, as a child. But same, isn't it the same in North America when some people want to say they're going to buy, they're, they want to make macaroni and cheese? Don't they sometimes say, I'll make some KD? Mm. See? So it's the same idea. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Touche. <laughs> Touche. I get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Miracoli, Miracoli is the brand, and so you say we're gonna make some Miracoli, mm-hmm. just like in in the North America. Like, yeah, let's make some KD tonight. Yeah. Even though when you say that, it's mac and cheese from a box. Yeah. That's so. That's funny. Yeah. So that sort of was my childhood, and then only in my twenties, I think, with travel, and my parents always took us traveling. Uh, and I've talked about this yeah. to Spain and everything. Yeah. So I've also, I guess, been exposed to Spain cuisine, specifically maybe uh, paella, like yeah. different yeah. types. Yeah. And then, but then, really in my twenties is when I Explore. when I travel let, when I explore. Yeah, but let's let, let's talk about that in a bit, just so we can keep a little bit of a timeline because food is such an expansive expensive topic. Yeah. Well, for me, what do you think my what do you think I grew up eating? Because you know me now, and you know you know my 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 palate is just so vast, but. What do you think I grew up eating as a Vietnamese Canadian? Well, from my instinct, yeah. I think your parents cooked a lot of Vietnamese food. Okay. But and, what's... But you have uh, to narrow... Okay, for sure. And then your favorite dish, which I don't know the name of. Yeah. Uh, but, that, but that wasn't something I grew up eating a lot. No, okay. no. no. Um, She's talking about Mi Sao Yang, which is... Um, Egg noodles, crispy fried, uh, with like a saute of like gravy, vegetables, chicken, seafood. Yeah, it's like a it's like a wok fried like carrots, celery, veggies in a like a little gravy sauce with either chicken or seafood, and then you pour it over a a nest of crispy fried egg noodles. Basically, yeah, delicious dish. One of my favorites. But pho was like an pho was a staple. Staple. Yeah, yeah like. Literally a staple, and trust me, you couldn't get it from a box or a bag. Oh, <laughs> you no. quickly prepped together like milakri. <laughs> Miracle. Miracle. <laughs> it was a, a very labor-intensive dish that we ate for multiple days because I think if you grew up in a Vietnamese household, you'll know that when your parents make pho, like you're eating it for a couple of days because the pot and the broth just take forever to make. So yeah. you're not just going to make it for one night. You're yeah. going to eat it for like dinner, then lunch, then maybe dinner again. <laughs> But then for me, after that, we ate a lot of banh mi. That's that. I was going to say banh mi. Yeah, it's quick. It, it's like banh mi is like one of those things yeah. where you like on the go, dad brings it home. Yeah. Um, and then oddly, this is one thing that you probably uh, might not guess is we ate tons of steak. Tons of like. I know why. Yeah. Why? No one would think that, but yeah. I know why because your dad was a butcher. Yep, exactly. So we had a. Like he always had great cuts of meat, so we'd always get like really amazing seared fillet or T-bone steaks, and uh, yeah, we would just eat it with whatever, like like rice or 
French fries yeah. or mashed potatoes, same thing. So, like, those were, like, things that I remembered. Like, we would eat a lot of pho, and then we would just eat. And then the next thing that, that like, I, we didn't even talk about, but, like, it was just rice with just random side dishes of, like, either fish or meats or vegetables. Typical sort of uh, Vietnamese uh, dinner food. Mm-hmm. Like, in Germany, for dinner, you guys eat a lot of bread with just sliced meats and some veggies and mm-hmm. cheese. Mm-hmm. In Vietnamese culture, it's rice and then side dishes, whether yeah. it's whether it's veg or sliced chicken or sliced meats. And then, yeah, the steak was like that little treat thing that we always got. That's really amazing and probably a little bit unexpected. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Because of your dad's job. Yeah, I, th- I don't think a lot of people might have experienced uh, that great quality of um, steak. <laughs> and it's funny, actually, because... I, this is so, seems so weird to say now, but I grew up just eating T-bone steaks mm-hmm. constantly. And if you know anything about steak, you know T-bone steaks is an expensive cut. Mm-hmm. And I would always get that. Like, we would always get one T-bone steak each. Wow. And, um, and because you would get them for cheap. And so then I remember the first time I went and had to eat a different type of steak out or at, at someone else's house, and it was like a sirloin or something. I was like, what is this? <laughs> like, So you you were born to be bougie. Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what a T-bone steak actually is, though? Like, do you know? I just know what it looks like. I don't know what... Yeah, so the bone's the T, yeah. and one side is where the tenderloin would be, mm. like the long tenderloin, and then the other side is what they would consider a New York cut. Okay. So if you split it off the bone... Mm-hmm. The longer side is the New York steak, mm-hmm. and then the smaller, rounder side is the fillet. And so you're getting kind of a New York steak and a fillet all in one. That's why it's usually more expensive. Hmm. And why I guess I'm bougie. It's because of my parents, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. But I guess in terms of food, um, was there anything that you didn't like eating before? Like, was there anything that I guess we'll go into where you said, as you started traveling, it started to expand. So was there anything that you just like completely weren't into or didn't know about or didn't like? And then as you started to travel, that's when it became huge. Many things. Yeah. I let's talk about it. Well, the first thing that popped into my head wasn't because of travel, but it was more because of you fish. I wouldn't eat fish for the longest time. Yeah. Which is sad because she had an amazing trip to Japan and wasn't eating fish at the time. So didn't eat sushi. Exactly. <laughs> um, I wasn't eating mushrooms for the longest time. As I have to say, still not my favorite, but mushrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, what else? Any cuisines that like, as you started traveling, you, you, that you discovered that you were like, wow, this is not on my radar? You mean not enjoyable? Both, like or not like. There was nothing that I didn't like ever mm-hmm. when traveling. I think just because I'm also just open to that experience. Yeah. Nothing is a bad memory. Mm-hmm. I think I was blown away by Asian cuisine. And specifically the countries that I went to was Thailand, Indonesia, um, Vietnam, oh God, and Japan. <laughs> Indonesia, I wasn't the... Biggest fan? You know what? I, I actually... That's one uh, cuisine that I'm not as familiar with. Can you tell me? Like, what, like yeah, what, so what's the vibe like? Um, what I really love in Indonesian cuisine is sometimes they have... Um, there's 
when we were in Bali, there were local restaurants and you went to it and they just had a big display of things that you could pick from and they gave you sort of like a uh, like a bowl made from like a straw bowl and they put a piece of paper on it yep. and then you could pick different things and one was rice, one was tempeh. I fell in love with t like um, fried tempeh yep. in Indonesia and lots of different vegetables and it was just this little thing that mm. you could put together yourself. What I didn't love though is Indonesian curries because I really like the lightness of Thai curries. Yeah. And is Indonesian curry just heavier or? Yeah, and the sauce is almost like a gravy. You know what's interesting? Vietnamese curry is very similar to that too. Yeah, it's not my favorite. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's sort of a memory that I have. It's because like, yeah, you want to eat it on the rice. Yeah. I find Vietnamese curry um kind of comes it kind of like, I don't know, was inspired by Indonesian curry or something. But see, for me, I have a hard time with Indonesian food because whenever I think Indonesia, because I haven't been there and like, this is just like, I need to get there. But like someone will mention Bali. And as soon as they say that, I get this skewed vision of what, what <laughs> Indonesian food is because I don't even think the food that we see coming from Bali is true Balinese food. It's like, they're not eating these weird Instagrammable acai, acai bowls. And yeah, like, no. Like, sort of... They're good. Avocado bowls or whatever. Not No, that's why I was saying the local place that I went to was really, really cool experience yeah, yeah. and very different from anything else that we experienced. Yeah, like I'm, not even, like, I'm not even out there to trash those beautiful acai bowls yeah. with the perfectly lined up chia seeds and perfectly lined up strawberries and bananas. They're good, but that, that shit ain't yeah. Indonesian food, yeah. you know? What about you? What uh, sort of, are there any cuisines where you're kind of like, eh, yeah, no. To, to be honest, like, no, there isn't. Like, I feel like I've had a pretty good grasp on most cuisines. The one, the one cuisine uh, that I don't, I'm not as familiar with is African cuisine. Mm -hmm. I would like to experience it more. I think it would be so delicious. Mm -hmm. um, and the one type that we keep seeing here in Berlin is Georgian cuisine. Mm -hmm. we, there, there's two really great Georgian food restaurants nearby. And I think we want to go to one this weekend. It, it looks amazing. Never and, tried. And for, well, yeah, me neither. And the thing is, you told me that Georgian food is a lot like Turkish food, right? I, I'm or am assuming, I, wrong? I think it's um, uh, Middle Eastern. Okay. Yeah. So I think that's sort of my idea but i have no idea so we'll have to see i guess yes is there is what what cuisine are you haven't you tried that you would like to try i haven't actually tried any caribbean food because i haven't been to the caribbean or mm. the cuban or because you cuban food is just is is different Car I know. caribbean caribbean food is like you have kind of tried it though like jerk chicken and to me caribbean food um but I don't know if I have tried the authentic it, it yeah. in the authentic way. Okay. Yeah, Caribbean food to me reminds me of Caribbean food is like very like lots of like great barbecue and stuff too. Yeah. It's yeah, it's super delicious. And I think I also haven't I'm I would be curious to see what Taiwan has for food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that absolutely. Would be something African, of course, different African countries. I've only been to uh, South Africa, Morocco, and Tunisia. So So was South African food very authentic African, would you say? Or because South Africa has such a like 
it's 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 quite you know there's a lot of different cultures and different peoples there so yeah no it's um like i said in the travel episode there's a lot of um, worms and crickets and stuff oh yeah yeah and they actually do a lot of barbecue Oh, do they? Yeah. So okay. So you would enjoy it. It's, yeah. It's a lot of barbecued meat. Um, yeah. So Georgian food has similarities to Middle Middle East and Eastern Europe region yeah. type of food. So Oh, we'll yeah. I haven't it. tried many um, Eastern European cuisines either. Like, yeah. I don't know what Slovenian food is like. I know. Or uh, Bulgarian, yeah. Romanian. And that's, and that's the one thing about food is like, I feel like it's so easy to like life just kind of stick to what you know mm-hmm. and and even if you think you're being adventurous it's like you're eating north american food and then you eat italian food and then you'll eat some mexican food or something like these sort of the more mainstream ones and then you'll eat thai food and suddenly you're like yeah i've eaten it all like i, I eat asian food like like it's just so easy to be like yeah you've eaten pho or vietnamese food you've eaten japanese food you've eaten thai food I've eaten all, I've eaten, I eat Asian food. Yeah, exactly. It's like, have you? Have you eaten Singaporean food? Have you eaten Taiwanese food? Have you eaten food from Laos? And then you'll say like, oh, I've been to the the Caribbean. So I've eaten their type of food. Like, no, or you've been to South Africa. Like, I've eaten African food. It's like, mm. have you? Like, yeah. Like, Ethiopian food is very, like, they're, like it's very different from mm-hmm. food from Ghana. It's it's different from Nimbib, Nim. Namibia. Nim, Nim, I can't even say that right now. Namibia. Namibia. And Cameroonian food. Have yeah. you, one of your good friends is Cam- from Cameroon. Yeah. Have you eaten Cameroonian food? No. Nope. I don't think so. Okay. Nope. It's such a, it's such a, it's a, food is such a topic I find that you can get just so like, um, easily, it can be easily dismissed because you know, people have such their preference, they don't want to expand, mm-hmm. or you get so passionate about it because you want to learn it. Yeah, and I think I've said it um, either on the podcast before or just to you. Food is something where you don't, if you don't try it, you don't know if that'll end up being your favorite food in the entire world. Mm-hmm. You just have to try it. And then you can say, oh, I don't want to ever eat Yeah, this. so, yeah, actually, speaking of which, what was something that you tried that you never thought you would like and then you absolutely now love? Sushi. Sushi. Yeah. With, like fish. Like I would eat vegetarian sushi, but because I have only recently gotten into fish, having raw fish was another level. Mm-hmm. But now... I love it. Like I Yeah, you crave it sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And it's and that for me has been a, an an amazing change for you, but 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 it's also such a unique experience for me because I have been eating sushi since I was like a teenager. It's like me and our friends in high school would go on a on a weekend and be like, "Let's go for sushi." And I re- I remember this so distinctly when one of our friends was the first friends to get a license and a car, we would always go on the weekends drive to a new sushi restaurant and go like three or four of us. And I just, oh, I just couldn't see my life without that, I guess. And again, I think that also comes back to what I said at the very beginning. I grew up in a very small city. I don't even know if there is a sushi restaurant in Una. Una? Oh man, I want to Google that. Maybe there is now, but I think back in the day there wasn't. So there wasn't like, yeah, when we had a driver's license, okay, we could go to the next big city, Yeah, but 
it's just not as it wasn't as available so we we were never I was I just wasn't exposed to it so then I think at some point you just develop this idea of oh I don't like this mm -hmm. even though you've never tried it before yeah so there is sushi in Una so Eat Happy is there which okay. is the chain sushi yeah. restaurant in Reva and there's a there is, is an actual sushi restaurant it is called Sushi Sumi on Schafferstrasse. Schafferstrasse, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, and that's what it looks like. Yeah, never been inside. Yeah, we should go there one time to your yeah. hometown and try it. Yeah. I feel like I've been really lucky because growing up, first of all, as a as a Asian um, kid in Canada, I was basically exposed to everything because because my parents wanted me to sort of eat the North American Canadian food, like steaks, burgers, all that good stuff. And then also we ate Vietnamese food every day, which was so lucky because I think that is pretty, for me, it, it's not hard technically mm -hmm. to cook a lot of Vietnamese food, I would say, to be honest. But I think it just, it's top tier when it comes to freshness and, and lightness and taste and how much punch you can get out of, such simple technique and stuff. You know what I mean? And were you, even as a child, appreciative of the Vietnamese cuisine? No, not really. I think I think as a child, I just thought, man, sometimes our food stinks. Mm -hmm. Like the fish sauce just... And it, I still think fish sauce smells today, but I understand how much... how, how flavorful it can be. Yeah. <laughs> and I would feel so bad for someone who has never been around fish sauce to actually have to, like smell it for the yeah. first time yeah like even you and i whenever we have to pull out a little bit to cook with we're just like oof or back in the day in calgary when we would order was it sushi and we sometimes got spring rolls and you dip them in fish sauce is that right yeah 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 and or, or even vietnamese food in uh, nook mum yeah and sometimes we would just be eating and at some point i'd be like man Smells one like feet. Our, like one of our, like, do your feet smell? Do my feet smell? Because I didn't even realize that it's <laughs> it <was the> sauce. <laughs> and we, we, by that time, we probably had been eating for 10 minutes, but I was just like, I, I, I remember. Yeah, I remember that so clearly. We and were, I did that over and over. Yeah, we were like eating all the time. And then we'd just be on the couch eating, watching movies. And she's like, oh, God. She's like, is it my feet that stink or is it yours? I'm like, it's the fish sauce, honey. It's the dip. You're like, it is? Oh yeah. man, it's yeah. so funny. Um, but but besides that, I just felt so lucky to be able to eat so many different types of foods. And then on top of that, I had so many friends who were black or mm -hmm. Indian mm -hmm. or um, Chinese or I don't know, just so many different friends culturally that I got to experience so many different types of foods. And I think you also just have a different an even different relationship to food because you're not only a consumer of food, you also worked in that industry for a long time. So I think you you can appreciate food from even a whole other level. Yeah, I think I think because I, w I was I grew up and and was so involved in restaurants that it allowed me to see even more than than the, than the normal person and because of who I am, I'm just always so curious. I just couldn't help myself. Well, I, that's not true. I guess I started out in the kitchen. Mm -hmm. So that right there, I worked in the kitchen for several years. So that right there already like instilled um, 
some my love for cooking kind of started from that because I just I like taking a raw ingredient and put and turning into this beautiful dish and then being able to learn the right techniques for me is just such a such a rush right like even just making our coffees in the morning just doing it the right way gives me such a rush and it's an art form like yeah I guess and I guess because I'm such a I'm I'm a, like the way I I live my life is just through doing stuff with my hands and being creative and being an artist and you you anything you do you love producing something like you like putting you like to taking pieces that have nothing to do with each other and then you put them together and create something beautiful yeah yeah and, and so it so it translates in yeah, that way yeah. and uh so and because my curiosity whenever i was a, and then when i no longer worked in kitchen but just worked in the front I just always had questions and I always, and the thing is I was very, very fortunate to work at very high level restaurants mm -hmm. at one point. Mm -hmm. And when you are in a situation where you're surrounded by people who are, who are so incredibly skilled and when you take that and pair it with curiosity, you start to learn a lot. You become like this sponge, you know? And, um, and for me, I guess that's where your love for wine came from because mm -hmm. Because I was surrounded by friends who love, love wine so much that then led you to also be somewhat, not I wouldn't say you're passionate about wine, but you have a, 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 a big curiosity for wine. Yeah, and I think... More than food, even. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I think for some, I don't know what it is about wine, but I think it's the, I'm fascinated about the skill of a sommelier mm -hmm. drinking something and being able to absolutely pinpoint what it is and where it's from and it's that learning aspect behind it and because I'm not as good with my hands mm -hmm. and so that's why cooking isn't yeah. as much my passion yeah that, because wine is so knowledge-based yeah you have yeah. to just practice and learn and learn yeah. and remember and it's that that like if I had the time and the money and the, even the skill. I would never be able to do it. I would love to do a course. You have the nose for it, though. I don't have the... Nah, I have a terrible nose, actually. Mm, but your nose can really get in the glass. Mine's a flat nose. Oh, you mean I have a big nose? <laughs> no, I just mean that I have a flat Asian nose and I can't get it into the glass as much. You can really get your... Right in there. I thought if you were complimenting me that I have a good sense of smell. Yeah. <laughs> As you're dipping your face in the glass. Um, okay, so pop quiz. Sancerre. Where is it from? France. <laughs> That's what I can tell you. I'm, I'm, I'm quizzing her because she's learning about wine right now. And, okay, so, yes, it's from France. What terroir region is it from? What region in, in France? Come on, you got can this. Can we make it a multiple choice? I'll give you a hint. It starts with an L. The region that it's from. Loire? Yep. Oh. Yeah, nice. And what grape variety is it? Come on. Ah, you know this. Chardonnay. <laughs> See, I don't know it. I don't know it yet. Delete this. No, I am not. Come on, try again. You got it. It has a color in it. In the name of the grape is a color. Pinot Noir. 
Try again. Another color and a name? Yes. Terrible. The name of the grape starts with an S for Sancerre. It also starts with an S. Come on. It's also very big in New Zealand. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, oh man. Give me another one. I can do No, that. no, no. No, one more. Okay, one more. Easy. Okay. Uh this is my favorite red grape. Grape. Yes, grape variety. The wine. It also has noir in the name. Did I just say that? No. It's a different one, but it also has noir in the name, but it also goes by a shorter name. See, this is why wine is so hard. Do you want me to give you where it's from? Yeah. It's from France. Oh, well, oh noir is in the name. Of course okay. So you have to know that I'm asking you the region that it's from and the grape. The name has noir in it? Yes. She's never going to get it. It's Gamay Noir and oh. it's from Beaujolais. Oh, sorry. Okay. You threw me off with the noir. I, I was going to say Gamay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because it's called both. Yeah, okay. And, and that, I tried to give you that hint. Yeah, okay. And no, yeah. Game, I knew that right. Wine is very, 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 very hard. Very, very hard. I'm very fortunate that I have friends who are incredible, knowledgeable wine people. And Katerina has actually never drank a Sancerre, uh, which is... A Chardonnay. Which is an incredible, incredible wine. Yeah. And, and, okay, this is what she did learn. What is the difference between Sancerre Sauvignon Blanc and New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc? I don't know. In the book that we're reading, they sort of describe New Zealand Sauvignon Blanc as louder, more vibrant, poppy music. Mm -hmm. Oh, so, okay. So you mean what it feels like to you? I thought it, you mean the actual, like, the difference in the soil. Or no, something. no, no. Yeah, and Sancerre is like, like jazz. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. One is just more vibrant and very, like, punchy. And yeah. the other one is just, like, smooth. And it just, like... And with Sauvignon Blanc, they also said from New Zealand, they said it's as if you're trying to sustain a two-hour conversation in a club. Yeah, and then what did they say about the other one? Was oh, about a jazz. It's yeah. more like mm -hmm. talking to someone for, in a jazz club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways, enough about wine. I think yeah. we just lost half of our viewers because I they don't so terrible. No, just because they don't care about wine. Okay. Or maybe they do. Maybe they learned something today. I mean, food, uh, wine has a lot to do with food. Like it can make your food experience so different. Elevates it to a whole yeah. new level. Yeah. But that takes us to almost like food. Food is like a pathway to other discoveries as well, mm -hmm. I find, right? Yeah. Because sometimes you don't really enjoy wine, but then you eat the right dish and you're, present, you're presented with the right pairing and suddenly it um, changes the way you view wine. Just like one time we were at a wedding mm -hmm. and we drank a glass of wine that actually tasted like... Oh, no, I'm mixing it up. It was a beer. And the beer tasted like it's if you were having... Um, Oh, what's the word? Um, 
it felt like it was bubbling up on your tongue. Yeah, it was effervescent. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. and it just helped the food. It along. just was so perfect with yeah. the food, and I would probably never have enjoyed that beer on its own, but with yeah. the food, it was. Yeah, mm. and and the reason why I'm saying it leads to different pathways is because. In the show from scratch, yeah, she was an artist who originally was gonna be a lawyer. I don't want to give too much away, but anyways, when she meets the chef, his name is in in the show Lino. She she really starts to realize that life is more than sort of the what you believe it can be mm -hmm. right and and then we kind of talked about this over dinner one night and what, what were we trying to say i was specifically saying because i'm not trying to give too much away but being a chef mm -hmm. can sometimes be regarded as not the desirable job when yeah. you're going to high school and you tell your parents i want to be a chef you, you want to be a yeah. chef they're like Aunt, don't you want to become a lawyer, work in corporate? That's exactly what kind of happened in the show a little bit. Like when she said she wanted to be a painter, yeah. her father, who was a lawyer, was like, no, why, why would you do that? And then I was saying that to me, I sometimes envy those types of careers now. Yeah. Because I went the traditional way of working my way into corporate, but in the end... Now I, quote unquote, slave away in front of a laptop all day. Whereas when you live more of that artist life in whatever way, it provides you a lot of such a diverse like amount of experiences. Yeah, dep yeah, depending on where you are, and I, and I and I and I okay. So now I remember where the conversation yeah. led. Was the conversation led to that? There's these traditional nine to five jobs mm -hmm. that are put on. Traditionally, a different pedestal and all these other jobs that were not. Yeah. And yet, how now, depending on the job, it depends on what's important to you. Mm -hmm. If you want a little, if you want some freedom, if you want to be able to work with your hands, if you want to go to the market during the day and then work at night. So we were just saying how it's so interesting that you... You are like traditionally you're expected to do a certain type of thing and you sort of get boxed in mm -hmm. to doing a certain thing mm -hmm. when it should it's okay to kind of pivot and change and have like live these other like types of jobs that maybe are less um people would say call them like you know, the top tier. I don't know if that makes any sense. But chefs these days are, are very coveted jobs. Well, that's what I was going to say, though. I think with any artist um, job, there's a lot of struggling people. Mm -hmm. And there's few at the top that make good money. Yeah, so I same, with, same with chefs, I think. Yeah, so I think parents are concerned because... There's only so many people at the top that can be successful being an artist in like, yeah. no matter what artist, chef mm -hmm. or whatever. And when you go the corporate route, you don't have to be excellent, but you can still have a steady, good income. Yeah. So I think that is why it's regarded in a certain way, because there's only so few at the very top. Yeah. And we don't, we didn't want to make this about like worker and, and anything, but, but I, 
it just led us to that thought process that um, there are certain there are certain jobs that will sort of kind of be the stable mm-hmm. this like comfort zone, but it's like sometimes being out of that comfort zone is what kind of pushes you forward and pushes you down these other expansive pathways that you're not able to you couldn't even conceive before and it's like food like you said it's like if you don't try something new you will never really know if that's your next thing that you love exactly and i think that that's exactly what i was just gonna say it's this this whole idea of there's so much passion behind being a chef mm-hmm. and being involved with food that I think it can be... There's all that passion in just eating too. Yes, surrounding <laughs> food in general, yeah. there's just so much passion. And I think it's such a beautiful thing. If that's what you want to do, I think that's so beautiful. It shouldn't be disregarded in yeah. any way. I also, um, I also just quickly wanted to acknowledge here is that like, I think we're speaking from a very privileged position Mm -hmm. so i want to just quickly say that that like we're we're able to talk about that because we do have jobs that pay us an income that allow us to buy food and try these certain things but 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 what i but what i also want to add to that is that my parents came from zero dollars so it's not as if i've always been in this position where buying t-bone steaks and eating high-end sushi and all that stuff like my parents had no money mm-hmm. and they and my dad worked as a butcher and you know my, my mom worked as a, as a shoe salesperson and i think over time we were able to get ourselves to a place um uh to build like eat a t-bone steak and he got them cheap because he worked but like you know and eat some fancier foods and all that but what's interesting and what i want to say and that led me to a new thought process is, isn't it, this is something that I struggle with all the time, all the time. Why is it that Asian food, okay, let me start over. Do you think that Asian food, some Asian food, is some of the tastiest food you've ever eaten? Absolutely, yes. So why is it always considered the cheapest food? That is a very good question. Why, why is it that when a bowl of pho is more than $12 or euros or whatever, people scoff at it like, huh, I would never pay for that. Whereas and, when a burger is 22 Because it's at this high-end restaurant. Let's use a different example. Let's say you go to a Michelin star restaurant and you have one of their pastas, a beautiful pasta with, you know, whatever, and it's being served mm-hmm. and it's at 29 dollars right and why is that people will scoff at that you I, know i have no idea like right? i i really don't know because it and, and, be- and, and, and like a good yeah sorry before you before you f- finish your thought hold that thought i just wanted to do another quick comparison just so that you have a bit more you said it exactly going to like this high-end steakhouse michelin star or whatever and if they had a burger on the menu that was from this amazing chef and it was between 19 and 22 people probably still pay for it. They'd be like, wow, that's expensive. I'll pay for it. But do you think anyone would ever even want to pay for a bun me? That Which was 1922. Is the 
same thing. Not the same thing, but it's it's not better. Concept. No, but I mean, it's the same concept as two pieces of bread yep. with something in the middle. Yeah, because I could make one. Yeah, I could get the freshest French baguette, freshly baked. For pate, I'm using foie gras. Yeah, doing in-house cured meats, doing the best pickled vegetables, cilantro, chilies, all this stuff. And then I'm like, oh, this to this this bun meat to me is worth eighteen dollars. People be like, you are nuts. I mean, and it's, to, and it's wild to me. To come back to your question, I think I don't have the answer because, especially Asian cuisines, it is apparent of how many different components, ingredients. What's behind it? So, like, it's not as if it's a very simple thing of like a pasta with a sauce on it. It's mm. they're always quite complex. Yeah. So I don't know why they're pretty like complex that. in flavor, right? Like, I find that like lots of Asian cuisine have a lot of um, a good balance of sweet, yeah. spicy, acidic, and um, yeah, yeah, well, do you and salty. Have, do you I I don't I don't know. I I've heard lots of of podcasts, and actually David Chang talks a lot about it. He talks a lot, like if you watch his show Ugly Delicious and and some of his podcasts, he always talks about how um, Asian food is always being devalued. It's like, like um, I, I'm not sure if this was the right episode, but, but, but there was an episode where he was talking about soup dumplings. And you've had soup dumplings, Zhao Long Bao. Yeah. And he was saying how, you know, they're, they're typically whatever, $7 for four of them or whatever. He's like, but if you go to a place and you price it at 12, people get pissed off. Mm-hmm. But like, how f- freaking hard is it to make this dough, this handmade dough, and then put the the cube of broth with the meat and everything in there, like however they make it. I think I don't know if it's frozen or whatever, and then yeah. they pinch it, and yeah. then so that you can it's crazy. Yeah, it's insane. And I think that's that's maybe I'm just being like very like um patriotic about asian food because i'm an asian person but i don't think that's the case because a lot of people talk about that yeah and i think and like how french food is like the epitome of pricing you know what i mean yeah like why can french food be priced high Mm -hmm. and and lots of asians food cannot yeah per se there is a lot of like high-end chinese restaurants for sure yeah but but i haven't seen a lot of other restaurants get to that level no no, I know. Even even just trying to go through my head in terms of what um, high-end restaurants we have in Berlin and which of them are Asian. I mean, there is 893 Ryote, yeah. which is a yeah. high-end restaurant. But it's sushi, and, and that's the one exception. That's the, I was just going to say that. The sushi one, cuisine one is the one exception. Yeah. There is a, yeah, like for me, I always find Chinese food can get to that level and sushi can get to that level. Mm, Japanese, I think people, because Japanese are such masters at everything. It's it's wild that, that yeah, like you could price any Japanese food quite high. Yeah. They, they've really gotten themselves to that reputation. I think it's more, it's often Southeast Asian food yeah. that is disregarded when it comes to how high it can be priced. I know. I know. I have never seen a, you know, I've always wished and had wanted someone to do a more fine dining. It's the, I don't know what other word to use, mm-hmm. but this fine upper end dining experience for Vietnamese food. Mm-hmm. And it just hasn't happened. I think I've seen 
one or two restaurants try in Calgary and they've all gone out of business because no one will support it. And even the highest end that I can think of in Berlin is Madame No. And it's not expensive expensive compared to any other you know what i actually think it is i actually think it is because the difference between a cheaper restaurant its quality and the high-end restaurant is so uh minimal Mm -hmm. and i think the reason is other than the quality of ingredients that you're purchasing Mm -hmm. the technique is simple yeah and that's what separates it i think there's only so much you can do technique wise so much that a that a high-end chef can do better than the mom, mom and pop. who's been doing it yeah. for so long. Technique-wise, because technique is the technique. And then outside of just purchasing more like more expensive organic ingredients or whatever, I think, and, and that's where, let's say a mom and pop shop does pho for $8 or 8 euros. So then the high-end restaurant will do it for 11 or 12 so then there, you're still not breaking that $16 ramen price bracket, right? So, yeah. then, it's, so then it's still justifiable. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. Maybe one day. Maybe one day if I come into lots of money, I'll, I'll do yeah, something. I'll Try to make it high-end, but worth it. Like a 10-course Vietnamese thing, but like the best of the best. But make the portions big. <laughs> Cat wants a big portion. Yeah. But was there anything else you wanted to add to this food thing? I think this is maybe just one of a couple of food episodes, like because food is such an expansive topic that maybe at some point we'll come come back to some things that we think about when it comes to food because it's such an all encompassing topic that bleeds into so many areas of life. Yeah, so, I, I'm sure this won't be our last one. We'll yeah. have to definitely talk more about it. But before we sign off, we promised we, we would say what an Americano is and what we were drinking. Yes. So, do you want to do the honors? Yes. So it is. Well, firstly, tell them a bit of the backstory. What is my favorite cocktail of all time? Negroni. Is your Negroni flits? Yep. And I'm wearing a Negroni please hat, by the way. So Negroni, I have to explain what a Negroni is before I can explain what an mm-hmm. Americano is. Negroni is for those who don't know equal parts. Mm-hmm. Campari, vermouth, mm-hmm. gin. Yep. And it is stirred. And it is stirred. Yep. And that's pretty much it. And you serve a, with an orange or it, maybe an olive. Yep. And Americano is also equal parts Campari, vermouth. But instead of the gin, you use soda or sparkling water. Yep. To top it up. And a lemon. So it's a bit more of a lighter, fresher. Okay. Version. Do you know why? Nine. And it is the not-so-sweet brother of the Aperol Spritz. It is called Americano. Yeah. Because one time, a North American came to Italy, and he ordered a Negroni, which is, as Kat said, equal parts Campari, Vermouth. vermouth, and gin. So that can be pretty strong. Mm-hmm. And he did find it strong, he or she. I don't know the history of it. So he said, hey, can you make me one not so strong? And so the easiest thing to do was just to eliminate the extra alcohol, which was the gin. Mm-hmm. Because gin is more or less flavorless, I guess, to a degree. But what makes the Italian drinks the Italian is going to be the vermouth and the Campari. Mm-hmm. So instead of the gin, they topped it up with soda water. 
And they called it, oh, the Americano. Americano. Yeah, the, the, yeah they, they put soda water into it, and they're like, wait, wait why, did you do, why did you wreck this drink? Ah, the Americano. Yeah, yeah Americano. Yeah. And, That's yeah. hilarious. Yep, and 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 another funny thing is, you guys, everyone has probably seen this meme, but meme by now. But like, what are you drinking tonight? Anacrona. Spagliato. No, that's not the line. It's uh, no. What's your favorite drink? So, what's your favorite drink? I was gonna say the same thing. Spagliato with prosecco in it. Yeah, that's so funny. Yeah, and so Negroni is a spagliato. If anyone doesn't know, is exactly as like Negroni without the gin. But with, but with Prosecco, which also makes it lighter and fresher. And what does Spagliato... Oh, and Spagliato... Means mistake. means mistake because someone put it in there by mistake. Yeah. Someone put the... And it all just diverges from that. Yeah. Yeah, which is super funny. But having said that, I think we will end this episode here. Yeah. This is the first of many food episodes. Yeah. So hopefully you ended up watching this episode on YouTube. Or if you were listening, maybe you can go back to the YouTube episode on YouTube and so you can see that huge mansion by Mariah Carey. Exactly. And uh, if you do enter it, hopefully you win with booking.com. It's again, reminder, June 21st, 12 p.m. Eastern time. And if you like this episode, make sure you like, subscribe on the podcast platforms or YouTube, share it with people that you think might find this useful. Yeah, and and, and give us uh, a five-star rating or whatever um, because we would love your support. Because thank you for listening. And we'll chat with you in the next one. So talk to you soon. Ciao. Bye.